3: now back to demon and Rado on 95 7 the game oh streaming everyone likes a good stream when they get it right especially that just got out of bed to take a leak is that a that's a little early in the stream for a prostate joke,
4: don't you think, Ray? It's a little early in my life for a <laughs> prostate joke. <laughs> Do you still have yours? As far as I know. Okay, good. Unle- uh, unless my arg- organs are being harvested by my wife against my knowledge.
3: Have you ever woken up in a tub full of ice with a note attached to your forehead that says, "Don't get out of this until you call a doctor."
4: No, but she has gone to price, you know, undertakers. Oh, nice. That's very nice. She's got planning. Good. Well, She's yeah. putting auto parts in pillowcases, you know, the, the stuff that you do at this stage of life. The burden of expectations. Yeah. They, they follow you around as well. Yeah. Uh, we have...
3: Stop breathing. A very good friend, Brian Baldinger, joining us in just a little bit here on 95.7 The Game on the stream, baby. It's Damon and Ratto. It's good to have you here. Thank you for joining us. You went out of your way to join us over here, which means you are officially now Nuts. among... Uh, Our favorite audience members is what I was going to say. But, Ray, you can also go with nuts if you like. Uh, Like I was saying before we we hopped into the stream here, the burden of expectations does an awful lot to change an athletes, not just the perception of him from the outside in, but I think does an awful lot to just change the way an athlete gets going in in their own careers. Uh, I I think that, 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 look, this is why I I think LeBron James – ultimately wears the crown of possibly the greatest athlete of my lifetime because no one came with more promise no one was more promised to us than LeBron James and then no one has ever delivered on that promise quite like LeBron James Um, that brings us to Brock Purdy again he was a two time all big 12 quarterback two time all big 12 quarterbacks for the most part, go in the first three to four rounds of most NFL drafts. This league right now is littered with quarterbacks who played in the Big 12. So he is in a group that you would think, just by definition, raised expectations. But he falls to the last pick in the draft. So the default setting on this young man becomes, yeah, no chance. Certainly the odds are so strongly against him. We will be making no bets. He probably won't even accelerate or, or, or pass the concept of being a training camp arm. You know, that's probably where it tops out for a guy like this. Maybe on the practice squad. Maybe another team claims him off waivers. But there is no burden that you are going to come in and help a team win a Super Bowl. Here, Brock Purdy is doing all of this. And I, I want to give full credit to Bamani Jones, who was kind of the person who put this thought in my head today when I was listening to his Right Time podcast, where he said, You know, Brock Purdy is in a really unique situation because uh, everyone agrees he's not the driver. But if you've been using your own two eyes, it, it's clear that he isn't just riding the bus to the win column with the 49ers either like he, he's got some directions in him he's pointing out a few intersections that the team bus should turn down at the very very least he is not just lucky to be here I think we can even look at it as the 49ers might fall into the luckier category lucky enough to have him
4: no he's lucky to be there but he has made the most of the opportunity because luck is the only way you can get to a third quarterback and it's usually bad luck uh, Brock Purdy was not a choice for them. It was two, two separate accidents that doesn't change the fact that he has not impeded them in any way in his time as the quarterback, the way you would expect a third string quarterback to do. So it's, you know, yeah, it's probably like two sides of the same coin, but yeah, I mean, there's a little luck in everything. uh, the difference is he's made the very most of the good luck that he's gotten. And that's not to be sneezed at.
3: To follow up on the concept of burden of expectations, do you see what Micah Parsons said? That he likes the fact that the Dallas Cowboys are playing the role of the underdog. Like, he likes it. He's He, he, he wants that. And I also think that that is a little bit of an in-the-moment talking point that you're just trying to give yeah. the media something without disclosing really anything. Um, uh, historically, most teams want to be the better team in a football game, and by being the underdog, by definition, you're not. I also think that it's not a choice. I, I think that there's a lot of reasons that point to the 49ers being the better football team up and down the entirety of a roster. So Parsons... Who basically said, you know, this this is the game he wanted. Can Luke does Lucas have that? Lucas, pop that sound for me, please.
1: I'm super set. This is who I wanted. This is who I wanted. I mean, people like to go around. Ah, oh, they lose here. We, uh, this the three headed dragon. We need to cut off one of the heads off. You know, I don't care who it is. We got to line it up because either way, you're gonna meet them at some point. You're, you're gonna be ready for your moment. I rather now than later. You know what I'm saying?
3: So you know, he, he was asked basically. Have you seen a team like this on your schedule? Have you seen a team that is this good already on your schedule? This is what I went in and did a little crosstalk with uh, Steine and Guru. They're talking about, you know, the, the Dallas Cowboys have played a better schedule than the 49ers did. And maybe, you know, if you want to start talking about winning percentages, opponents, and this, that, the other thing, maybe, maybe that argument could be made, but if the default setting for anyone is... It's in any given Sunday league. If you believe that, then I guess the schedule doesn't really matter or shouldn't matter as much.
4: It matters a little bit, but it's one of those handy ways of trying to pass yourself off as an expert without very much, you know, behind it. Like when you look at a team schedule, very few people will look at it saying, how were they playing when they played Team X as opposed to you know well Arizona finished 4 and 13 so they sucked the whole year i mean that's a bad example but you know what i'm saying some teams and it's probably truer in basketball and hockey and even baseball than in football but if you catch a good team at the wrong time for them you can make a seemingly close game look really lopsided so analyzing schedules is Helpful, but only to a very small degree because it's not done the right way. It's when is a team good when you're when you're playing them, and when are they bad when
3: you're playing them? Again, Parsons got asked if Dallas has faced an offense like this, and he basically said, no, not really, but they haven't seen anything quite like us either.
1: No, but I don't think they've faced nobody like us yet this year either, so it's really matchup against matchup. Uh, you know, I don't think... You know, across the board, you know, like people always talk about what they face and what about what they face and they thinking out how we going to stop them. And I think we pretty hard to stop ourselves. So that's what we got to focus on, not beat ourselves.
3: If the 49ers carry this Sunday, it's because their consistency against the run should turn this into a little bit of a one dimensional game, which means now all of a sudden the 49ers pass rush can start taking this game over. And look, the Cowboys might be just as talented as the 49ers. For the sake of argument, Ray, let's just say the Cowboys. And if you can measure talent and come up with the weight of a talent on a team, let's say that this is equal weight. They are both heavyweights in terms of talent. But they're nowhere as consistent as the 49ers. Like, Dak Prescott is hardly a set-your-clock-to-him Level of consistent quarterback. The Cowboys, you know, if you start looking through their schedule, they've been beaten on the road by many of, we'll call them playoff caliber teams that they played this year, going all the way back to week one. And I guess they don't need to apologize for this anymore because they just won the wild card round in Tampa. But all the way back in week one, they lost convincingly to the Bucs. Then they lost at the Eagles then they lost at the packers a, a near playoff team then they lose at the jaguars a playoff team they lost at the commanders a near playoff team so you look it all up and you add it all up the last time the last time the 49ers lost a football game was like three months ago it, it, it's, it's crazy it it's 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 been a very very long time I think 90 days. I think I've seen in between losses or whatever it is. It's it's been a very very long time since the 49ers got pushed into the wind column, but they've been pushed a couple of times and they've responded because ultimately they're consistent in what they do. I mean, this is a a a, a Dallas team that looks like they blew out the Colts and they did in the fourth quarter. Otherwise, that game is 21-18.
4: Yeah, the thing about the Cowboys is that when they are on, they can be breathtaking. But they are not on on a week-to-week basis. And the difference between the 49ers and everybody else is that they haven't not been on. Um, well, it's not it's not 90 days, but since October 23rd. And that was when you know, they were having crises of everything. Uh, they got blown out by Kansas City, and deservedly so. Right after that, Christian McCaffrey comes. Changes the dynamic of the offense. Um, their defense has always been fine. The only game that they really you know, looked horrendous in was Kansas City. Kansas City owned them. The The Raider game was more of a pie fight at, on both ends than it was like the Raiders really knew how to destroy what the 49ers do. Only Kansas City's done that this year. And when you've won 10 in a row, 11 in a row if you count the playoff game, you take on the trappings of the team that never has the off day.
3: The burden of expectations. Here we are again.
4: I mean, but in the postseason, every team's got a level of momentum. And even though there's not momentum between games, there's momentum within games. The 49ers look indomitable because nobody's dominated them since before Halloween. So you you just assume, well, that that can continue forever. Well, but every game is, you know, is a separate item. And if you come out and you fumble the ball twice and you shank a punt in the first half and all of a sudden you're down 20 to 3, all of a sudden all those 11 games go away and that works the other way too. If, if Dallas, you know, if Tony Pollard goes off and breaks off a couple of long ones early, all of a sudden the vaunted 49er defense now looks suspect. It's people remembering the last thing they see. And the last thing the four, that people have seen about the 49ers is them boxing another team. So they take on this aura of, oh my God, no one can stop them. When in fact, Yeah, they can be stopped. You just have to be really good and really efficient to do it.
3: It's going to take nothing but the best effort from either of these teams to beat the other team. I mean, that's how good they are. These are two very, very good football teams. And, you know, I I understand that the NFC East has three teams in the playoffs this year. And when you're the division that does that, You get to, you know, make an argument that you're the best division in football. But I don't know if it's that much dramatically better than the rest of the NFC, which fell on hard times in a few different cities for a few different reasons to talk about it all here on a football Friday. By the way, if you're thinking of selling your house and you don't want to deal with repairs, cleaning, realtors, photos or showings, Uh, Check out Houses.com. You don't have to do any repairs, pay any commission. Visit Houses.com. Brian Baldinger, good enough to join us here on Damon and Ratto on the Bud Light guest line. Bud Light, easy to drink, easy to enjoy. Baldy, thank you so very, very much for joining us. Uh, One of the things that Ray and I have been kicking around here is that Brock Purdy has enjoyed playing in an in an environment that is almost devoid of expectations. But those have been placed on him now. And I think, you know, if you're expecting the 49ers to win this game, that means the expectations are a little bit on Brock Purdy. I know that you have been putting him under the microscope, Brian, and thank you so much for joining us as always. Do you have any reason now to doubt that Brock Purdy is less than what we've seen so far, or do you think that this is a guy who just was totally underestimated and is, you know, now just finding his legs underneath him in the perfect situation?
5: You no, know, I don't. You know, there's a lot of layers to that, uh, Damon. Good to be with you and Ray. Um, you know, I, I, you know, when you win 11 in a row, the expectations are you're going to win 12 in a row. Um, nobody thinks it's just the quarterback. Nobody thinks it's just the coach or just the talent. I mean, they're playing really good football in all levels, complimentary football. Uh, you know, the Pro Bowl and the All-Pro teams tell you they have a lot of good talent. we have been saying it all year. You know, at, the, at certain positions, they may be the best at probably five or six positions in the league. Uh, not many teams have that type of talent. But, look, do I think Damon Purdy could just fall off a cliff? I don't think so. Um, but all quarterbacks, when they get hit, they kind of reveal who they are. So he hasn't really been hit much at all. You know, I mean, he, he either avoids pressure, throws the ball out of bounds. Uh, he's got the ability to kind of just run away from quick pressure or avoid it. So, you know, he's got his capability. Um, so he's not getting hit a lot. And then he does a lot of good things on the move. So, I mean, he's got – just like nobody knew what Patrick Mahomes could do until he got a chance to do it. Could he have done that year before when he was sitting? Probably. You know, we, we might be looking – I'm not going to compare him to Patrick Mahomes because he's got five years to take that makes him maybe the best player in the league. But you know, he's got a lot of those type of attributes and qualities where he can just you know, the touchdown to McCaffrey, the touchdown to Mitchell, I mean, those aren't primary receivers, yet, you know, he's he just knows where they are and knows how to come back around to the other side of the field and put it in the perfect spots to Um
4: because the compare the comps that people have attached to him are mm-hmm. so gaudy so far. Yeah. I'm right. wondering what a sensible comp is in terms Mm. of not necessarily numbers here or you know rookie records there which you know i'm not fond of but who stylistically in your mind does does he does purdy remind you of who does he who does he most resemble in like the real football uh Mm. the creation of football
5: well i mean look I mean, whether this is fair or not fair, Ray. But you know, if you there's only two guys that have done what he's done in his first six starts, and that's you know it's Kurt Warner, and he kind of reminds you of Kurt Warner, under you know under the radar, nobody knew what he could do. Uh, was you know he hadn't been cut and played in different leagues like Kurt. But you know, when you're Mister Irrelevant, I mean, you might as well have been bagging groceries, you know, like Kurt did in Des Moines. But you know, I mean, he's he's kind of similar. Like he seems to feel really good. Kurt was a really good athlete at that point in his life, um, you know, playing for the Rams and took a team to a Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, he, was he the best player on the team? You know, he was the guy that made it all happen. But obviously they had all kinds of guys and, you know, left left tackle and Isaac Bruce and Marshall Falk. I mean, all the guys. But, you know, he kind of made it all go. And I kind of feel like that might be a comparison now. Is he going to wear a gold jacket one day? I, you know, I don't know. But, he, he, you know, they're off to kind of similar starts with similar ability and similar backgrounds right now.
3: Brian Baldinger here on 95.7 The Game in the stream. So if you just want to start swearing up and down, you can go ahead and, and, and do that, Brian. No one's going to get angry at you today. But look, we, we know how good Christian McCaffrey is. The guy pops almost every single time he gets the ball. I also think Elijah Mitchell is a hell of a talent who went a long way to getting the 49ers deep into the playoff run last year. In the last game, we saw him haul in that touchdown in the passing game, but he was very much muted at the line of scrimmage when he was carrying the ball. What was the difference in what you saw between Christian McCaffrey running it and Elijah Mitchell running it last week? Because one had great success, the other did not.
5: Yeah, I mean, uh, I can't really say uh, Elijah Mitchell uh, didn't see the, the holes or didn't see the feel well. I mean, the plays just weren't blocked real good. And he didn't make, you know, these crazy cuts to you know, to find the daylight. So, you know, sometimes you just you just get in a rhythm. Sometimes you just, I mean, it's just a, a game type thing where it's not really almost how they block it. It's just, you know, it's just not going your way that day. There's no back that I don't care what you know Barry Sanders. I mean, pick a guy. There's no guy that goes out there and just lights it up every Sunday. Some days you just get shut down. You just don't see it well. You see it in Dallas. You'll see it be sh- between Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott at, at times, where Pollard you know makes something happen and Zeke doesn't make anything happen, and, may, and sometimes not often, but sometimes it's vice versa. It could be like that sometimes, and that's why you know coaches like to get guys involved early, Damon, to find out who has the. When they say a hot hand, that's kind of what you're describing. Why one guy's got success and another guy doesn't? It's not necessarily the guy; the other guy has less ability or less vision or anything. He's just not finding it that day, and other guys just find it. And you know, it's it's kind of a you know a day to day or game to game situation sometimes.
4: Um, since you brought brought them brought them up, um, who is more vital to Dallas's chances of winning Sunday, Pollard or, or Elliott? Well,
5: Zeke is you know Zeke is maybe the best blocking running back that we have seen in our time. I mean, he is excellent. Um, you know, his personal ability to protect back when he's back there is as good as any back in this league. I can't say that about Pollard, but Pollard is a more explosive player, um, makes bigger plays than Zeke does at this point. Uh, probably a better, you know, better big, uh, big play running back than Zeke is. But Zeke's still going to, you know, punch it in from the two yard line as well as any back in this league. I mean, he can really still push the foul, he still has tremendous power. Uh, but you know, Tony is, uh, no, Tony's a guy that can find the daylight, you know, and when he gets there, I mean, he can uh, he can really explode, much like, you know, we've watched from McCaffrey over the last, you know, eight or nine weeks.
4: So who, uh, let me just follow up, uh, who then in your mind will concern the 49ers in terms of their planning more? Is it Pollard and his explosive uh, abilities, or is it the fact that Elliott is a great pass protector who can make, Dak's life in the pocket a little easier?
5: Yeah. Uh, it depends on down-and-distance distance situation, to be honest with you, Damon. It's, you know, they rotate accordingly. You know, if it's third and 13, Zeke, Zeke is probably going to be in there. Um, just because, you know, he's he's, he's a very good receiver, uh, but he's a great protector. So in, down distance, first down and 10, you know, you probably see a lot more Tony Pollard in there. Uh, you know, especially if they're trying to get the running game going. And, you know, they didn't have to do much of it last week because, you know, they carved up campus zone defense so easily that they really didn't have to rely much on it. But, you know, when they when they were winning games with Cooper Rush and even some games with Dak, I mean, they had a, a really good one-two punch going between the two of them.
3: Brian, what's the difference between good Dak and bad Dak?
5: Uh, the good Dak is what you saw last week, and the, and the difference was just protection. You know, when he's protected and he's got, um, you know, just a nice, wall in front of him, he can step into his throws, Um, you know, he's very good. Very good. He saw the field really well last week. But under pressure, uh, you can get bad Dak. You know, if he's getting hit, he's getting flushed. Uh, If he's late in his progressions and the ball is still in his hands and he's trying to get, get, you know, late in the progressions to a third option, he makes bad decisions. And, you know, that's why he threw interceptions in so many consecutive games and some costly interceptions, pick six against Washington. Um, could have thrown the same – you know, did the same thing to play before. The guy just dropped the ball. But when he gets late in the progressions and the, the pocket's getting dirty and it's collapsing, that's when you can get a bad back.
3: Brian Baldinger with us here. Damon and Ratto on the stream. Odyssey, thank you very much for the technology. Um, last week, Kyle came out calling the game backwards, if you will. Christian McCaffrey didn't have a touch on the opening drive it was a pass-heavy opening drive, and uh, you know Kyle is is feeling it out right there. What do you expect Mike McCarthy to do? The opening drive for the Dallas Cowboys will look like what in your mind?
5: Mm-hmm. I think that they're going to take and, and see a little bit of what we saw from Kenneth Walker last week, where they had some success with their tight ends on the field running the ball. They've got some excellent. They've got three excellent blocking tight ends. Um, you know, when you look at Schultz and you look at Hendershot and you look at the rookie Ferguson, they're excellent run blockers. And, and at times this year, they were a big 13 personnel team the way Seattle is. I could see them coming out and, uh, you know, really trying to establish the run and just some play-action passes off it. I don't think they're going to come out and try to spread the 49ers out and, um, you know, and let Nick Bosa – uh, you know, get after them a little bit. I don't expect to see anything like that. I expect them to come out almost conservative uh, and try to get that going and see if they can move the line of scrimmage, see if they can pierce the edges with these backs and their tight ends. And I think that's how they're going to get started here in this game.
3: Defensively, last week, they were in a situation where they didn't need to worry about a running game, and obviously Dallas needs to be very worried about a running game to the point where... I mean, do you think they will have... A, Will the 49ers be looking at a single light box on a single play this weekend?
5: Um, Probably not, but, you know, you'd be foolish to just, um, you know, just load up the box because we've seen what Purdy can do and we've seen what these receivers can do. Um, I think that you'll see, I think you'll see Micah Parsons all over the place. I think you'll see him blitzing from the middle linebacker position. I think you'll see him coming over the guards, maybe more than over the tackles at times. Uh, they're going to try to get him in the best matchups possible. Uh, Donovan Wilson is an excellent box player. He's an excellent tackler. He's a lot like Ofanga. Um You know, he's just, a, he's just a really good football player. And that, number six, Donovan Wilson. I, last week, they did a good job of really hiding their corners. Deron the Bland, who's really a nickel corner. Really started on the edge. They eventually went to Xavier Rhodes. But, you know, they've really had a problem when you spread them out, when teams spread them out. And um, they get three receivers out there in the field, three legitimate receivers the way the 49ers can. They've had a real problem at left corner. And I'm anxious to see, like, the Tampa, for whatever reason, never really tried to expose it, but other teams have. Uh, I'm anxious to see who they put out there. If it's Land, the rookie, and then Mukuama in the – in the slot, or if they're going to play Rose outside and Bland inside in the slot, I think Kyle wants to find that out. So you're going to see some, I think, uh, some formations early in this game to see who's playing the left corner, because I think they're going to attack that position.
4: At the risk of looking further ahead than we're allowed to, in breaking down Giants-Eagles, what do you think is more likely? The game... In early December, when the Giants got boat-raced, or the game two weeks ago where the Giants very nearly beat them.
5: Oh, it's it's going to be close, Ray. It'll be close game. Uh, you know, week week fourteen. You know, they didn't have Big Cat Williams. They didn't have Xavier uh, Xavier McKinney. They they didn't have Adoree Jackson. I mean, they got their chess pieces back now, um, and they have a much better passing game offensively, much better. And so they're they're in a position, Wink Martindale, a defense coordinator, they're in a real good position to uh, get this thing into the fourth quarter against the Eagles. And I think that's where it's going to be. One and loss right now. I think it's going to be a close game into the fourth quarter.
3: Brian, what do you think about the Jaguars? A puncher's chance at Arrowhead?
5: Yeah, puncher's chance. I mean, because, you know, if you're down 27-0, uh, and you come back and you win, and you throw, you know, four touchdown passes in a row, um, you, 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 you feel like you can... You're kind of invincible. They've been to Kansas City. They know the atmosphere. They know the field. They know the talent. They know what Chris Jones can do. I mean, they've seen it and felt it. They took their best punch back in Week Ten. Uh, they're very capable of, uh, you know, because offensively they they really know who they are. Christian Kirk is a slot, and Zay's outside, and Marvin, you know, Jones beats man coverage, and uh, Evan Ingram is the flex tight. I mean, they know who they are, and the quarterback is very good.
4: Let me ask you a question, not as a football analyst, but as a fan. How much dread, if any, do you feel in the possibility of an AFC title game played in Atlanta on a neutral ground?
5: I, you know, look, it might happen. And if it does, then they've got to play it. But I, I'm, I'm not a fan of it. I understand the circumstances. Um, and I understand that you know they, they've got to try to make it as fair as possible. But I don't think it's going to be fair. And I don't think it's going to be fun. I mean, I, like, there's nothing better if you're Cincinnati and what they did last year, going in to Kansas City and beating Kansas City. Like, that's a great feeling, um, being able to do that and to overcome the atmosphere. Joe Burrow said he likes being the underdog. He likes going in. and, All right, you know, we got to communicate a little bit differently, a little bit better than we normally do, but he likes that feeling. And you're not going to get that feeling. He's not going to get that atmosphere in that stadium. I don't believe you will. I, I don't believe you'll get... 50-50 partisan, I think you'll get a lot of nonpartisan fans in the stadium because it's the game in Atlanta. So, I mean, I think it's going to lose a lot if it does get played there.
4: Our friend... As a, I, um, I, I, go go just, I, I'll be real quick. And as a fan, how bad do you want the weather to be Sunday in Buffalo?
5: Oh, man, come on. Like, I work at, I'm here at NFL Films right now. You know, we love when it's snowing, when it's bad weather, when it's windy. I mean, it just makes for better pictures, better atmosphere, more to overcome... Kind of makes you feel like you're looking at an older style of game when you get that kind of weather component to it, right?
3: Are you in a press box this weekend?
5: Uh, I'll be on the field tomorrow night in Philadelphia, get some stuff done. So I'm gonna, I'll, I'll get that, I'll get that South Philly vibe, Damien. You know, yeah. when I'm there tomorrow. Yeah,
3: that's a red carpet rollout for Brian Baldinger in Philadelphia. I am sure, Baldy. Go ahead and predict the NFC title game. What are we? To- what game are we talking about next week in the NFC?
5: Oh, I think, you know, the Niners will be in Philadelphia next Friday or Saturday getting ready for a Sunday tilt with the Eagles.
3: Always great to talk to you, brother. Thank you so very, very much. Yep. Appreciate it all season and doubly appreciate it in the postseason. Thank you. You bet,
5: guys. I'll talk to you next week.
3: That's our man Brian Baldinger on the Bud Light guest line. It's a football Friday here on ninety-five-seven. The Game, brought to you by Zenny. The official eyewear of the San Francisco 49ers shop from over 3,000 styles, 80% off retail prices, only at zenni.com, and get locked in for 49ers and Cowboys, starting with the kickoff show, 1 o'clock.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy.
2: americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day oh and you want the proof well you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds what could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds let odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs advertise with odyssey visit ads.odyssey.com
3: on sunday some of your favorite hosts are going to be stopping on by to join larry krueger and lorenzo neal as the guys get you set for the big game are they anticipating me stopping on by? Because I told it depends on what time I get there. It depends.
4: Yeah, well, you'll get there early. I'll get Otherwise, there. Otherwise you'll be in you'll be in traffic but for that, two and a half hours. But that's the thing. I want to get there
3: early, I want to go to the box, wanna walk the field, press the palm, shake the hands, kiss the babies. It's what we do. We put in an appearance, you know what I mean?
4: Well, I have to represent both you. of us. Yes, you do, because I refuse
3: to go. I should get like a little one, of cardboard cut out of you and just walk around with it. Why would you want that? Just because it would be an interesting conversation piece. No,
4: you'd look grandchild. like an idiot. <laughs> By uh, the way, you know what sucks about Eagles, Eagles Giants? What? Saturday it's supposed to pour down rain, and Sunday it's just going to be... I mean, I've got it the other way around. It's it's going to be a benign day on Saturday and awful on Sunday. So the awful weather
3: that you were looking for is going to miss that game by a day. Exactly. I'm sorry. Well, I'm I'm bittered. Don't be bitter. Hey, if you're Too going to make the game, come on by the Hilton in Santa Clara to join the party. The kickoff show is brought to you by Harris Ranch Beef and by Jim Beam. That's what I'm talking about from a sponsorship standpoint right there. All right, Ray interesting aspects Cowboys Niners you put together three what do you think are the three most interesting things about this meeting on Sunday
4: one what the 49ers do with the Dallas running backs because if Dallas can't get anything from Tony Pollard they might not get anything from Elliott either and if Dallas can't run it's a festival in the the Cowboys backfield so that's the first thing I want to see is what the Cowboys can do on the ground.
3: I'm a lot more concerned about Pollard if I'm D'Amico Ryan's than I am Zeke Elliott. I just I am I, I Zeke Zeke is the kind of guy that I think fares poorly against this defensive line. This line clogs a hole and he doesn't move clogged holes like he used to, where you can get around the edge on the 49ers at times if it's not set and that's what Pollard does
4: so Pollard is the guy I'm worried about
3: more than Ezekiel Elliott
4: but I well the thing that I took away from talking with uh, Brian Baldinger is that Elliott is a more effective guy helping block for Prescott
3: isn't that a little bit of a tell like if you see one guy in the game you you know that's probably they're, they're dropping back here if, if Zeke is in there
4: well it depends on down and distance like Baldinger said, if it's a short yardage situation, I think they'd be perfectly happy going giving the ball to Elliott. I mean, he's not a guy who's going to bust a run anymore. I mean, I think he's been used up in a lot of ways by the the love affair Jerry Jones had with him earlier in his career. But I think there's a place for him and he's sort of a a super Kyle Juszczyk in that way. He's more, almost more of a modified fullback. But He's got better wiggle than your, than your average fullback. So, I, to me, a lot of what Dallas is going to try to do is going to be predicated on whether they can run. Dallas'
3: backfield, number one. Number two.
4: Number two is how effective Dallas's secondary is in making it hard for Brock Purdy to be comfortable. I think because he can see the field... He can process stuff quickly, but Dallas's secondary is good enough that they've got guys who can stay with Ayuk and Samuel and to a lesser extent Kittle. And if they can make him have to make more decisions in the pocket than he'll have time for, I think that can change the game. Um, because I think the wild card about Purdy is not, is he all of a is the moment gonna be too big? No, I think it's a simple matter of football. If they make it hard for him to be able to throw in, in tight spots, then he becomes a different quarterback because the big issue with him at Iowa State was always he didn't have the arm strength to hit a cr- guy in a crowd. And that was it wasn't that he couldn't throw the ball far. It was that he could throw it accurately with steam on shorter routes. And we haven't seen enough of him to be able to say, "Oh, he's got that solved."
3: i mean i I think I've seen enough balls delivered in the middle of the field in tight windows to think maybe that scouting report was a little uh, inaccurate i mean I, I, I I've been again i'm I'm looking for reasons to to doubt brock purdy i, I It's not through rose tinted glasses that I'm looking at this through either. I can't find it. I can't find a reason to think he will be definitely the reason why this weekend doesn't happen. Like, to me, Mooney Ward is more likely to be at the center of this game going the wrong way than Brock Purdy.
4: Oh, I don't, yeah, see, I don't sit there and think, oh, my God, all of a sudden he's going to remember he was a seventh-round draft choice and just, like... I shouldn't be here! down it, yeah. (laughs) I don't think that's the issue. I think it's more, can Dallas, which is not a bad defense at all, you know, if you look at statistics, they're, they're top five, top six, whether they can, they can be that on the road against maybe the most dynamic offense they've faced all year with the single exception of the Eagles. And that to me is, you know, if they can't do that, then the 49ers will get to run the ball all day long, which is what they love to do anyway. They'll get the ball for 37 minutes. They'll have the ball for 75 plays and it will be a boat race. I think it's largely the the nature of this game will be defined more by what Dallas can do than what the 49ers can do because Dallas has to be able to do all those things really well for them to win. right the I Niners think their just... margin their margin for error is much tighter than San Francisco's.
3: I believe I, I think you're right. I think the Niners just are, and we know what they are. and they are that consistently enough. To have the thermostat of this game dialed to I believe the 49ers will do what they do what is Dallas going to do about that how do they execute goes a long long way obviously to decide this one I mean I, you, I guess it's not really great analysis how
4: the opponent plays will go a long way to dictate how this game goes but it, there, there is something to it yeah I, I think you know because the 49ers have had so little trouble establishing what they like to do if they can do what they like to do, they're a pretty prohibitive favorite, which is why I think, what can Dallas do to make them uncomfortable? And the third thing is, weirdly enough, wind. Is it going to be breezy on Sunday? Is the kicking game going to be wobbly? Because I don't think Brett Maher is a bad kicker, but he had a bad week and he's had to think about it all week. So if it's windy and he's got to kick a 40-yarder in the first half. You know, he's got to make that. Otherwise, they're going to have to start going for two basically every time they score. And the the the, the thing about that is Dallas needs to have a clear edge somewhere, and their best chance at having that edge, I think, is special teams.
3: If Mar misses his first field goal or point after touchdown, game on.
4: You know you, what I mean? Yeah, like, you won't see him again. You might
3: not what do you make anything, by the way? This is not just a this game question. It also applies to the Eagles, because I think it might have started with questions about their kicker. That placeholders are using like a a marker on the field to help kickers get their bearings. And this has been decided by NFL officials as outside of the boundary of the rules of what you can do. And I guess Marr was asked to pick up a blade of grass that maybe is being placed on the field just to give sort of a, a, a lineup marker. I, I I I briefly read the story about Fugazi foreign objects being put on the field by placeholders in the kicking game and that this applies to Philadelphia and possibly applied to the awful performance last week in Tampa by Marr. And... To me, placing a blade of grass on the field, I, I don't see that as a foreign object. Like, this, this story's not making sense to me yet.
4: It, it's much ado about almost nothing. What, Mars' problem was just in the swing of his leg. It just, he, it wasn't, and I read, I didn't see this myself because I'm not an expert, but people break I down saw, the NFL I saw a story. Yeah, I saw a story that basically said that his, his approach was the same every time but his leg swing was different. It wasn't it wasn't grooved the way a good kicker's leg swing is grooved. And that's the thing that they thought was the problem because the week before that and for most of the year he's been hitting it right down the fairway.
3: But that's apparently what this painted blade of grass represents this is now your kicking plane you kick through this plane and ball should go through those uprights so I don't know what to really make of yeah, it or not I, I
4: think it's probably going to end up being not much of anything because I think Brett Maher is too good a kicker to suddenly melt down and turn into into a Steve Sachs or Chuck Knoblock. but I think if it's a windy day he could hit the, he could hit the ball true and still miss and no matter how he misses, if he does miss, I could easily see Mike McCarthy going. Well, we're going for two on every score from now on, and we are not kicking field goals, even if we're you know on a fourth and eight at the forty-one.
3: True or false?
4: Probably not.
3: No, no, no. I'm. I'm. You didn't let me
4: ask the question. <laughs> I know, but I just wanted to save you some time.
3: True or false? We're going to know who's going to win this game at, at halftime.
4: I th- I'm going th- to say false, although it's an appealing notion. And the reason—and I all, I almost mentioned this as one of the, the three things that I, I was going to get to. Um, because the only way that Dallas wins, in my mind, is if they're up 17-3 at half. But I don't think that's automatic. I think if the 49ers up 17-3 at halftime, yeah, you'd— Good night, Back I with read. the kids, you know, it's time to go home. But if the Cowboys are, I still would make the 49ers a like a forty percent chance of coming back and winning the game.
3: By the way, speaking of ticket prices, I don't think anybody's necessarily gonna be walking
4: out of this uh
3: this game. I saw Jennifer Lee Chan, vivid seats not only tracks ticket prices, which this weekend, the average price is five hundred and sixty-four dollars a seat. Um, the 2019 NSC uh championship game was 556 per seat. So this is the most expensive ticket ever offered for a game at Levi Stadium. Look at it this way. This is the most expensive ticket sold at Levi Stadium since Taylor Swift was in town, I believe. So there you go. Um, the Dallas Cowboys are gonna represent, apparently, according to Vivid, which tracks where your purchases on their site come from, uh, 74% obviously 49er fans in that building 26% Dallas fans. I wouldn't be surprised because there's a lot of Dallas fans who do live in California. That is a, you know, well to do for the most part. I mean, look at it this way, if oil money wants to travel, oil money travels just as easily as tech money does.
4: But oil oil money is not paying $540. Oil money is paying like 6 grand or 12 grand or right. 48 grand and, and getting like Great seats. Premium seats. Yeah, they're not going to be sitting in section 992.
3: I really do think we're going to have a grip on this game around halftime. I think you'll know whether 49ers are in very, very little trouble today or in a degree of trouble today. And even as Seattle rolled into the locker room with the lead, I never really thought the Niners are in trouble. My mind did start to go to, if they were to spit the bit this afternoon, this is the first half the Seahawks needed to have, but I don't think they're going to spit the bit.
4: I'm now, I'm now though, in like a bad place for me mentally in that I'm thinking that the coin flip matters. Just because if Kyle you wants defer, that wraparound. Yeah, well, they all want the wraparound now. I mean, if, let's say if Dallas scores late in the half and they're up 17-13, or... 13, 10, whatever, and then get the ball back to start the second half, that's when stuff can turn. Because all of a sudden, now it could be a 14-point swing in five minutes. But when I start worrying about what the coin flip's going to be, it means I need to lie down. And in fact, I'm thinking about doing that in about 10 minutes. Yeah, we will lay you down. Yeah.
3: Lay your burdens down. In front of a bus. (laughs) Um, I want to talk about the slightly odd 300 club that brock purdy has a chance to join this weekend first of all brock purdy throws for 300 yards this weekend the 49ers are in the nfc title game agreed
4: no only because if he has to throw that much maybe the 49ers are in a, are they're in, they're in a pie fight rather than what they want to be is where brock purdy's throwing for 210 yards and throwing the ball 23 times sure I mean,
3: look. We're, we're, if where he's Kyle got really for, wants to be, is 45 runs, 10 passes. Yeah, That's if, where you. <laughs> if
4: if, Ky, if if Brock Purdy has to go for 300, there's a greater chance that Dallas is scoring too. So I think just the opposite.
3: Right, but 300 could also mean plays popped. You
4: know, the oh, it 40 could. punches and bunches, if you will. It could, but again, I think Kyle Shanahan's dream game is the Green Bay. The Green Bay game where they ran when they threw the ball eight times. No doubt. he would take that all day long every day. No doubt. Uh, with
3: 300 or more passing yards on Sunday, Brock Purdy would become only uh, the only 49ers quarterback in franchise postseason history with back-to-back 300- plus passing yards in a single postseason. He would become the first quarterback in the NFL to do it since the merger. Purdy would also become the fifth quarterback in NFL history to pass for 300 or more yards in consecutive in, in each of his first two postseason games. Would you like to now hear the weirdest list you're ever going to hear in terms of 300 passing yard games that you would think, well, all these guys must be total studs? Not quite. Matthew Stafford, he's a stud. Matt Hasselbeck does not ping on the stud radar. Mark Bolger not pinging on that stud radar, and then Dan Founts, who does. But that is a weird club of early 300-game success in a career. Purdy's four total touchdowns last week, made him the first rookie quarterback to account for four total touchdowns in a uh, postseason game. And again, another one of those, that doesn't make much sense. With three or more touchdown passes this week, Purdy would become the second quarterback in NFL postseason history to pass for three or more touchdowns in each of his first two playoff games, the other one being Scott Bruner of the New York Giants. Would he play
4: in the 60s, 70s? No, no, it was like the 80s. It was the eight before? must have been pre-fill. Yeah, I, I'm trying to... Uh, pre-fill or post... Yeah, it, it, I can't pinpoint the year, but I don't remember him quarterbacking since Phil Sims. so I think it had to be before. Probably, it was probably pre-Parcells, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
3: If Purdy were to th- throw three more touchdowns this weekend, that would give him six touchdown passes this postseason, matching the most by a rookie quarterback in NFL history, and that guy was Mark Sanchez. There is an awful lot of odd quarterbacking I don't. I'm, we're not calling them records, but a lot of odd quarterbacking milestones attached to odd quarterbacks pulling them off in the postseason. So maybe that's an advantage. Maybe that's an advantage. Yeah. Well, I, I, I hear. You. I I believe I heard you type the word Bruner into the yes, uh, search engine. Yes, you did. Um,
4: you yeah. It was it was pre fill Yeah. It I, I don't feel Eighty two. It was a strike year, in fact.
3: All right. So I'm seven years old. I feel good about it. Yeah. Not knowing
4: that. But um. Well, the thing about three hundred yard games, especially in January, it's more often than not an indication that your team's behind because there was a far greater chance of the weather being bad and in bad weather you want to you want to be conservative. You want to keep the ball on the ground. And if you're behind, you've got to throw like crazy to get back in it. So I could see why the 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 quarterback list is is that erratic.
3: Are you ready to fade the public? I saved the most profitable moment of the show until last. Although last week, this was an unprofitable moment. Profitable in the regular season. Unprofitable so far in the postseason. We'll see if we can get you back to 500 if you're fading the public along with us. Again, this is not a game that we choose. The game chooses us. The public chooses the game. And I saw today that 68.6% of the money is on the Giants plus seven and a half, which is the biggest commitment to any total out there. The single biggest public play is just laying it all out there and say Kansas City money line. You basically have to spend $45 to make three. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's The odds are against you there, but a lot of people are doing that. But we don't play fade the public to any and all bets. We're just, what's the biggest public fade that we can come up with on the spread so with 68.6 percent of the money on the giants plus seven and a half ray by default we're on the eagles minus seven and a half and i gotta tell you i don't like that bet but it's not up for me to decide The, the, the fates and the cosmic tumbler decides this for us um i actually think the giants can win this game I really do. I just think the Eagles got a little peak too early and Jalen is not state of the art right now where the Giants are, are catching heaters everywhere they go. Now maybe the Vikings are that much of an overrated mess that we can't count that as a impressive win, but to me the it Giants a got a
4: little bit of a look in their eye. Maybe. Um I I was looking at, at that as well and Cincinnati is another team that the public really loves at five and a hook. I think and the going can win that game too. Oh, I, I think, the, I think the Bills are going to hammer them. Hammer them. Hammer them. I think the the weather is going to weather's going to be difficult for them. And Joe Burrow, as good as he is, is still a guy who gets hit a lot because that offensive line is still not right and it's banged up.
3: Tackle's got a dislocated kneecap. Yeah, not playing.
4: So I, I, I like Buffalo in that one. I'll, I'll take the five and a half, and the worse the weather is, the better I will like it.
3: By the way, uh, Darren Ravel reported about the money spent at Nevada casinos in the last reported year. This is not just gaming, but this is rooms, food and beverage, and other attractions. How much money do you think was spent in Nevada last year by the public? Care to wager a guess on this? No pun intended
4: i'm gonna i have no basis to say this but 15 billion
3: as just a shot in the dark with no research that's not bad it's even worse though 26.3 billion 26.3 billion that's a lot of cocktails well it's a it, lot of appetizers
4: well and it's a lot of covid free travel for the first time in four years and i think people who weren't able to go before went with a vengeance this last year futures bet
3: Giving that Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, and Trevor Lawrence. Well, let's take Herbert out of it because he's done. Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence. Who wins more Super Bowls in their career? Allen. You can keep Allen or swap him out for Brock Purdy. And I'll even give you 10 to 1 odds if you put your money on Brock. Who are you taking?
4: Allen. Even though Purdy's in a very good situation. He is in a very good situation. But I'm I'm going with Allen. Okay. Simply because I think that the question there is, who do you think is the better quarterback? And I think it's, it's always going to be Josh Allen. Because at some point, Christian McCaffrey, McCaffrey will get old and not be a great running back anymore and Nick Bosa might get hurt, whereas Josh Allen does so many things himself that it might be easier for Buffalo to sustain what they've got than San Francisco.
3: 49ers and Cowboys, it's officially NFL playoff royalty. The Cowboys lead the all-time series by one game, 19-18-1, so you can get back to even with a big win. Also, you can get one game behind the Cowboys all-time in postseason play. The Cowboys lead this series 5-3 over the 49ers. The last meeting, though, was obviously a win for the Niners in Dallas last year on the road to SoFi Stadium. These two franchises combined for 10 Super Bowl titles, 15 NFC championships. This is going to be fun. Enjoy it. Looking forward to getting down there this Sunday. You have a good time watching all the NFL action this weekend. Again, Divisional Weekend is going to give us a hell of a show on Monday. We do know that. And we want you to stick around because coming up next, it's Warriors pregame in progress from Cleveland ahead of Warriors and Cavaliers. Tim Roy's got all the action coming up on ninety-five-seven. The Game. For everyone here, thank you very, very much. Good job all around. And you can remember that sports don't build character. They reveal it. And like that,